You're probably familiar with Sawyer as the maker of everyone's favorite water filter, the Sawyer Squeeze. But did you know that they also make a picaridin-based insect repellent? Why is this important? Have I mentioned that turning 50 comes with some kickers? One of which is a new allergy to DEET, which I discovered while in the Philippines. Picaridin saved my life. Sawyer makes a 20% picaridin repellent that is as effective at repelling mosquitoes, flies, gnats, chiggers, and ticks as 100% DEET, but won't damage plastics or synthetic coatings. Because it's derived from pepper plants, it's family-friendly and safe for 50-year-olds with allergies. You're getting protection from Zika, West Nile virus, dengue and yellow fever, and probably most importantly, Lyme disease. And for more protection, you can add Sawyer's permethrin spray to your gear and clothing, which will also help repel and kill the little boogers. Look, I listen to your tortured insect stories from the trails. I don't know about you, but when we all can finally leave our houses again, I want to be as protected as possible and ready for some adventure. I'm taking what I've learned from the trail and kind of figuring this out too, hopefully, to help other people. And one of the big things about the drinks, just kind of stepping back about the nutrition part, is that they can actually be a full meal if you're, let's say you're at altitude and you don't feel good and you don't feel like eating. So you can actually drink a full meal instead of having to eat. And they also really work really well for bear cans. So if you're not able to squeeze in all that food into your bear can because they're so pliable that they're really good. So you can get in a full meal by just squishing in this powder in your bear can. Or if you've got Giardia and you don't feel like eating, <laughs> you know then you're still getting something in and just by drinking it, even if you sip. Welcome to the Hiking Through Podcast. I'm Erin Egan with a pre-trail closure episode, and this is the podcast where I talk to experienced thru-hikers about their adventures on the trail, and strategies for successfully completing a thru-hike. Today's guest is Sling, known off-trail as Erin Owens-Mayhew. She decided to solve her midlife crisis via the PCT in 2017, but injury had other ideas, and 300 miles in, she had to step off the trail. Successful recovery invited her to jump on the AT. However, jumping into the middle turned out to be a very bad, not-so-good idea. In this episode, we talk about her challenges on the trail, how she applied her nutritionist background to the subject of trail food, her post-trail van life, and the creation of Backcountry Foodie. You can find this episode and all previous episodes at hiking-through.com. You can also listen to us on Apple Podcast and all the other podcast places. Enjoy my conversation with Sling. There you are. Yeah. <laughs> and hopefully we're going to keep everything quiet. Our dog and Chris are in the back of the van. I'm like all isolated here in the front with all the window covers up, hoping this will be like a soundproof-ish area. <laughs> a sort of, if you don't see it, it's not making a sound. Right. <laughs> Beautiful. So hopefully she won't bark or cause any problems. So we'll do our best. <laughs> no worries. So, so starting with the van seems like the perfect place to start because that sort of seems to be the transition for you between nine to five job and well, everything since then. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's definitely a new way of life for sure. 
Now, something I wasn't clear about was, did the van come before or after the PCT? Midlife crisis is what all started this. That was in 2016. PCT came in 17, and we bought the van in, let's see, we've been in it almost a year now. So that would have been September of 18. We bought the van, and then we finally moved into it full-time March, April 1st of 2019. Wow, okay. Okay, so... So midlife crisis to PCT. Let's talk about that. Okay. <laughs> I feel a little bit like I'm there with you, but let's go. Okay. <laughs> so I guess what were you doing before? Was it basically a nine to five job? Yes. I've been a dietitian for almost 19 years now. So it had been about 16 years then in 2016 when I had the midlife crisis. I was a clinical dietitian and that's what I'd always done in a hospital um, I'd worked a variety of other positions, but at this point in time, I'd been there about 10 years. Um, and it was a really structured job, and I was just worn out. Every 15 minutes had to be documented for productivity. Um, and then the commute to work had gotten to be two hours long. So it just, one thing after another got to be too much. And you said, in the immortal words of somebody, take this job and shove it? Uh, hopefully my old boss isn't listening, but pretty much yes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I had asked for time off and wasn't given even an opportunity to take time off and come back. So I pretty much said, yeah, I'm out. <laughs> it's time to go. <laughs> I, I feel you. Was the PCT something you had been thinking about? Was that part of the reason that you wanted the time off? Or did that sort of come after you'd already said, I'm not going to do this job anymore. Or I'm going to I'm going to leave this job. Um, I've been dreaming about the PCT for a long time. So like most people, they dream about it, but they feel like they can never really take that time off from work or the fear of taking time off and not having a job when you get back, you know, and having a family and all those kind of things. So I just never did it until this time came. And I was like, now's the perfect opportunity. And I was turning 40. So I was like, even better. This is my birthday present to myself. I literally started hiking on my 40th birthday. So this just all came at the perfect time, to be honest. <laughs> almost like it was meant to be it was meant to be <laughs> my family and friends disagreed with it highly when I made the decision but have since then been like that was the best decision you could have ever made at the time now why did they disagree with it at the time um I come from a very traditional family where you work nine to five you have a retirement plan you have a house you have a nice car you know you have all those things and I did I had all those things but I still wasn't happy so I was like, something needs to change because I've achieved all these things I thought I was supposed to achieve. And I just, it wasn't doing it for me. So the same thing, friends have been like, what are you doing? You have a secure job. Like, what's going on? And I was like, I'm having a crisis of some sort. So <laughs> something has got to change. Because <laughs> you're right. I'm very secure right now. What am I doing leaving all this behind? <laughs> yeah. In lieu of a red sports car, you decided to hike the PCT. Yeah. And actually buying an expensive luxury car led up to that. So I did actually get the sports car first. So <laughs> <laughs> that was the biggie when I was like, yeah, something's really wrong because I have no reason to have an expensive car right now. So yes, I actually did that too. <laughs> so you tried the more traditional route and that still didn't work for you. Right. Now you were married, right? At the time I started yeah. the PCT? 
No. Okay. Um, and this is a funny part too, is we had actually just started dating and I told Chris, my now husband, boyfriend at the time, Oh, by the way, we've only dated a little while. I'm quitting my job. Are you okay with that? <laughs> I'm going to be gone for almost six months. Um, how do you feel about that? <laughs> and luckily he was okay with it and was an awesome supporter of it. He did all my resupply boxes. And when I came back, I mean, we were getting really ahead of each other, each ahead of ourselves but yeah but yeah he was a super awesome supporter of it what was what was his first response when you said this to him well i'm kind of this is kind of my personality is that i like to make big changes um when i can so i think and two he knows how much i love hiking and how miserable i was at the time so i think he was like this is something you need to do so i'm in support of it and again we didn't know each other very well at the time so Little did he know. Yeah, little forward. did he know what he was getting himself into. <laughs> so you do all your planning. You are a nutritionist. You head out for the PCT. What was your, I guess, since we'll, we'll focus on the food plan first. What was your food plan when you headed out to the PCT? Um, that's actually what started Backcountry Foodie as well. Because being a dietitian, and I've always been an athlete too. So I know how much food I need to eat and I know what I feel like if I don't eat well. So once I started figuring out what a meal plan would look like for the PCT, number one, I couldn't afford it because up until then I'd actually only been eating mountain house and all those kinds of things. Cause that's all I'd ever done. I mean, I've been mm-hmm. going on short backpacking trips and you can get away with that. So once I started figuring, I was like, well, I financially can't afford that kind of meals. And then I started doing all the research, like all the other through hikers do. It's like, well, there's Pop-Tarts, there's ramen, there's tortillas <laughs> and honey buns. And I don't eat those. And I know that I won't feel very good. So then I started adding up how much all this food would weigh, knowing how much food I need to eat every day. I was like, I can't physically carry all this. I mean, that's just not possible. And then I was like, well, I'm a dietitian. There's no way I'm going to go home because I can't eat well. So I've got to figure this out. <laughs> So that's kind of where my whole food thing came up is I quickly taught myself how to make homemade meals. And then using my number crunching dietitian skills, I just started figuring out all the numbers so I could eat as much nutrition and the least amount of weight so I could carry everything that I needed to. So did your math overall work out correctly? Yeah. And what's funny is that I was able to get 5,000 calories and two pounds worth of food which at the time I didn't realize like that's an awesome feat for most hikers Mm -hmm. that I was like, Oh, I just figured all this out. So what ended up happening is I would have hikers follow behind me, hoping to get my leftovers in the hiker boxes. (laughs) because (laughs) I was so excited about getting homemade food that actually tasted good and didn't weigh a whole lot. So it was actually kind of funny. Did you end up putting much food in the hiker boxes? At the start, I did, um, because I ended up overpacking like most hikers do. You don't know what's going to happen at the beginning, so I had too much food at the beginning. Uh, But going on, like I ended up, I didn't finish the PCT. I got hurt, so then Mm -hmm. I ended up hopping over on the AT the same season and then ate even more food there. So there there weren't any hiker box foods there because I'd eaten it all plus having to buy extra. What were you estimating, I guess, to give us some some reference? How tall are you? I'm 5'8". Okay. So what were you calculating? What was the dietitian and you calculating for calorie needs? So it was mostly, and this is something I really believe in too, is there are all these calculations out there that you can do the math for, but they don't take into account any of the, the elevation change, how much your backpack weighs how long you're on your feet and like, is it hot? Is it cold? And all those things. So I could only really base it on what I had done before 
And prior to the PCT, I was a long distance trail runner. So I was kind of gauging it on that of, well, I only would run six hours at a time, but I'd be hiking 12, but I'd be doing kind of similar elevation change and kind of those kind of things. And so I kind of used it as that as a baseline. So I was guessing 5,000 for PCT. And once I was two weeks in, that was like, right, perfect. It was right on what I needed. So, and then, like I said, in the AT, I jumped all the way up to 6,000 was still star- starving. <laughs> Why do you think the difference? Um, the PCT was a lot easier. Um <laughs> Because that ended up getting hurt on the AT, too, because I was so used to going the gradual grade on the PCT. And then I jumped on the AT, even though I'd been pulling 20 plus mile days, the AT folks, I jumped on at Harper's Ferry. So I jumped in as everybody else had already been on trail for a while. Um, So they had 20 mile day legs, but they were used to doing high stepping, you know, like quad crunching kind of stuff going up and down the rocks where I wasn't used to that on the PCT. So it was just so much harder going up and down the elevation kind of changes that way than I was used to on the PCT. So I think it just made me that much hungrier. And, and I was hiking faster on the PCT is definitely more laxed on the AT. I was trying to keep up with these guys have been hiking forever. So I was like moving like marathon days as fast as I could go. So I feel like I never had a break. <laughs> what was my question going to be? My question was going to be, so on the PCT, you didn't have issues with hiker hunger. Um, no, I was able to eat okay. plenty. Yeah, it was more at the beginning. I didn't need as much as I thought I did. And so, and then there was the day that I didn't need enough and I bonked really hard. It was like on day four. I mean, it was super early. <laughs> and it was so bad that I had the shake so bad that I couldn't even open up my food bag that my friend that was with oh, me wow. had to open my food. And that was one of the reasons I was worried about not packing enough food is that it took me several hours to recover from it. And then once you're going, you don't have several hours just to sit around when you're trying to get in, you know, 20 plus mile days. So that was one of the big fears that I knew would happen if I didn't eat enough. And sure enough, it happened. (laughs) Why didn't you eat enough? Um, I think that day, I forgot what had happened. I think we wanted to get out early and I didn't eat breakfast. You know, one of those kind of things where I just didn't follow my usual daily plan and by mid-morning, it was just like, whoa. <laughs> I mean, I did. I had the shake so bad. Like, I was trembling. I couldn't do anything for myself. It was really bad. So we just sat down at the closest picnic table we found, and she made my food for me and had to sit there. I think it was three or four hours before we could keep oh, going. Wow. Yeah. So that was enough of a lesson for you for the rest of the trail, huh? For the rest of the trip, yeah. <laughs> I'm not doing that again. <laughs> and I used to do that when I was running. And I was like, I know better. <laughs> so I guess I tested it out once and that was plenty. <laughs> Isn't it funny how many things we know better and yet we still do? Oh, I know. <laughs> and it's not so about backpacking, but yeah, in general, it's like, I know better. But then you do it anyway. <laughs> you, you just got to prove the theory one more time. Right. <laughs> What was your injury on the PCT that, that bumped you off? Um, this is actually where my trail name came from. Oh, um, yeah. So I had been living in Seattle for all those years. I guess it was 10 or 12 years at the time. Um, I've lost track now that we've been gone. Um, and you don't get a lot of sun in Seattle. So <laughs> I was really, really worried about the sun exposure in the desert. So I packed one of the reflective umbrellas. I was like, I have to use this thing. So I couldn't quite figure out how to get it strapped onto my backpack so it would stay. It was super windy, too, when I was out there. So I was trying to, like, use my poles, hold onto my hat, hold onto my umbrella, you know, all at once with the wind blowing. So I ended up zip-tying it to my shoulder strap. And then what ended up happening is I strapped it on so tight that it pinched a nerve in my shoulder. And then I just ended up having so much pain. over it. And, of course, I was being stubborn because I quit my job on 40 
I'm not going home because my shoulder hurts, <laughs> um, that I put up with it for, I don't know, it's probably a week or two. I forgot how long it was now. And I got to the point where I couldn't even carry my backpack anymore. That The very last day that I finally got off trail, I was carrying it on my backpack on my right shoulder as a purse. And then the other arm was wrapped up with my tent footprint and a sling. So my trail name is Sling because of how I ended up getting off the trail all bandaged up with a tent footprint around me. <laughs> That's hardcore. <laughs> so, That's and then crazy I hung hardcore. around. Yeah, then I hung around. We went to the emergency room and they couldn't find anything wrong. And then I bought a new backpack. I mean, I did everything I could to figure out how to stay on trail. And I just kept going. I went out for another short hike. I was like, this just isn't happening. So I went home and saw my sports medicine doctor who knows me very well. Because, again, I'm stubborn. And I do things I know better <laughs> to do. So she looked at me immediately and knew exactly what was wrong and gave me some physical therapy instructions. And then I was fine. So the pinched nerve was related to the umbrella on your strap. I, I guess I'm trying to figure out the logistics of, of, what, of what happened. A little bit. So I had it, I have a pocket on my shoulder strap. So I had the oh. umbrella kind of sitting a little bit in the pocket, but that wasn't enough to hold it in place. So then I zip tied, I have these plastic twist tie kind of mm -hmm. things. So essentially it's almost like a zip tie against my shoulder strap to keep it down. So I could use my hands for my poles. Um, so it was so tight against, and then I had to strap on my backpack so tight because of the wind, everything was blowing that it just pinched something there in my collarbone area, like right there. And ended up sending pain like all the way down to my elbow. And then somehow I think what ended up having, I hunched so bad because I was hurting all the time mm -hmm. that that kind of triggered my shoulder pain. It was just this whole elbow, shoulder, collarbone area. Just everything hurt. Uh, nasty. It was horrible. <laughs> but I was stubborn. I was like, I'm not going home. <laughs> I'm going to figure this out. But I ended up having to go home and then I figured it out and ended up being okay on the, the AT with my shoulder and ended up tearing my quad muscle climbing those steps on the AT. So how long were you home before you had the brilliant idea to go over to the AT and then went over to the AT? Um, I want to say it was probably only two to three weeks, I think is how long it took to rehab my shoulder. And that was just enough time. I had to completely like replan my backpack needs and my food needs and like everything kind of had to get redone. Um, and then just figuring out the logistics of the AT cause I hadn't planned on it. <laughs> so <laughs> Yeah. Now I have to know where all the resupply parts are, like the shelters, and I had to do all that research. So I want to say it's probably only two or three weeks. And then I jumped on at Harper's Ferry just as the bubble hit. So that was kind of my intention, too, is I wanted to catch up with people that were on there and had already been doing it and probably knew a lot about it. So that was a timing factor, too. In retrospect, would you try that again? Or would you have maybe not worried about it, the bubble so much and, and slowed down a little bit? Um, I don't think I would have worried about that because I, I was scared to death of losing my hiker legs too. <laughs> so yeah. I actually ended up doing some training hikes, carrying both my husband and my gear <laughs> just because I needed to keep the strength. Um, but that, I think that was my bigger concern is losing my hiker legs. But then now learning from that and the AT, I now know hike your own hike. You know, it's very <laughs> true. Slow down because I've since done the Oregon coast trail and did it all by myself, my own pace. And I was fine. No injuries, no food problems, you know, Nothing, just because I did it by myself at my own pace. And so looking back, I guess, yes, I would probably slow down now that I think about it. But at the time, I was just like, I'm doing this. <laughs> so, Oh, how stubborn we are. Oh, yeah, stubborn. <laughs> when you said on the AT that you had to add food, 
did you end up basically shopping in town and that kind of stuff in order to augment what you had yourself or what you had done yourself? Yeah, the AT, my food plan was not nearly as good as the the PCT because of the, partly that problem is I only prepared enough for the PCT and I ended up needing more. So Chris would throw in some extra things from my PCT plans to kind of make up for it, but then I would still be hungry. Um, so yeah, I would go into town like everybody else, go to Walmart or gas stations, you know, and those kind of things. And at the time I just didn't have the resources like I do now to know better, the better foods to pick and that kind of thing, just because I've learned so much since then. Um, so yeah, I'd be like a lot of protein bars. Oh, and I got hooked on Sour Patch Kids. That was, <laughs> that was bad news. <laughs> I ate way too many Sour Patch Kids. Well, and then, and going to the town too, we would, you know, you go into town, you eat a burger and fries, you know, and beer because there were so many towns so close that on the PCT, that wasn't an option. So I ate a lot better there too. So I did more of the in-town binging than I did on the PCT. Now, how long were you on the PCT and how long were you on the AT? Um, Wrightwood. I got to Wrightwood, which I think is like 375 on the PCT, which, like I said, I wasn't nearly far enough by any stretch of the imagination for me to quit. So that's then on the AT, I got up to somewhere in Massachusetts. I've forgotten the little town. I was about 500 miles on the AT before I had to get off there. And again, I kept pushing through that for at least two weeks too. And I was like, then it finally came to the day where I physically could not walk anymore. And I was on, I'll never forget that day when it's pouring down rain, it's cold. I'm on the side of a road with no cell reception and people just kept driving by and I'm crying my eyes out. Like, I just want to ride home. (laughs) (laughs) It was like the worst day ever. And finally some guy picked me up and took me back to the camp where I was. And I was able to catch a bus to Chris, my husband's parents' house in New Hampshire. So it ended up working out, but yeah, I'll never forget that day. It was awful. How did you tear your quad muscle? I think it was all the up and down and up and down that I wasn't used to doing on the PCT because the PCT was such a nice gradual grade that I was suddenly doing like rock climbing (laughs) and steps all day long. And I hadn't trained that way prior to, so I hadn't done any squats or that kind of thing. So I think the motion was just different than what I was used to on the PCT. But yeah, you could physically see the tear. It was pretty gross. Ah. (laughs) Yeah, it was gross. (laughs) I'm I'm hoping you're saying that you could see the tear in like an MRI or something as opposed to actually see the tear standing there. Oh no, you could see it looking at my leg. <laughs> I didn't know what had happened at the time. I just it was kind of like the um uh, muscle had retracted, I guess you could say, up towards my groin, so it was a lump where it should have been smooth down to my knee. So yeah, you could tell at the time, like I had no idea what was wrong with me, but again, my sports medicine doctor's like, yep, you shredded it. (laughs) She's like, you're back. Now what? (laughs) Congratulations. It's a twofer. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh my God. After successful Oregon coast trail, any plans to go back out on one of the long trails? Oh, yes. I would love to do it every single year if I possibly could. I'm I'm hooked. <laughs> um, but now that we have a business, things are changed. I'm no longer unemployed. <laughs> so, yeah. um, so we're actually hoping to get ahead of our schedule this year and do the Tahoe Rim Trail together um, with our dog. So that's not nearly as long as I would like to do, but we'd still be getting outside. Um, so yeah, as soon as we kind of get in another business position to where I can take the time off, I'm definitely, the PCT is waiting for me. I'm going back. (laughs) It's just a matter of when I can get there. You need to settle up with the PCT. Oh yeah. No, we're not done yet. (laughs) (laughs) 
But in lieu of that, you guys are doing what you're calling the 52, 52 hike challenge. Correct. So this year, um, so yeah, so ideally you do one hike a week for the 52 hikes for the entire year. Um, so we had found that last year we were so focused on getting the business together. We were so busy trying to figure out how to build a van and live in a van and the travel. So we just, we didn't get out and we were like, we're driving, I don't know, we had already done over 20,000 miles and realized we haven't gone backpacking at all. And this is what we do. So this year we've really dedicated to, we're getting out, we're doing trips and we're taking breaks from our screen. And so far we're on hike 12, I think we're midway through March. So we've actually stayed on top of it and been doing pretty well. What it, What is the business now? Um, and it's growing rapidly. Um, mm-hmm. It started out as just me writing a cookbook for the recipes that I did on the PCT and the AT and the Oregon coast. Um, and that has since turned into a website where I have the recipes and also meal planning resources available um, to folks that want to subscribe to the site. Um, essentially, I give brand new recipes every week um, because actually this is what I love to do. I love being in the kitchen and just kind of tinkering and making new things. But then I'm also providing all the meal planning resources as a dietitian using those skills to help you figure out how many calories do you need? How much protein do you need? How much carb, you know, what's the timing? And I'm giving people sample meal plans kind of based on what I did. So that's where we are right now. And we're going to do a huge upgrade um, in two weeks. So we're super excited about what that's going to look like. And then our dream is to start producing the food and doing hiker boxes. Um, So that's kind of our next step. But we need to figure out where our home is going to be first. <laughs> we haven't figured out where our van is going to stop moving. <laughs> so we're still figuring out where home is going to be. And then once we figure that out, then we're going to start kind of investigating like the food regulations and those kind of things for wherever that is and kind of go ahead with that kind of field of nutrition and food that way. Okay. You said in two weeks. So what is that? That's mid-March? Uh, that'll be mid-March. Yeah. So we're going to, right now you get 15 recipes, but the upgrade, you're going to get 75 all at one time. And then you still get the weekly ones going forward. And then we're changing it from like a year subscription to a lifetime because folks are just really liking it. And we're like, I don't want to give it up after a year. Like I want to have access to all this. So we're changing it to lifetime. And then people have access to me. We do a video call once a month, which has been really fun. We all get online and kind of chat over video. Um, so now I'm going to do that pretty much for a lifetime because I've had so much fun doing it. So those are kind of some of the upgrades that we're going to do. We've got a few more, but. I'll keep those secret until they're finalized. <laughs> right, right. So, so what is the kitchen that you're practicing in or playing in at this point? Um, you should see it right now. It's a disaster because today was a recipe day. <laughs> um, we specifically built the van around my kitchen needs. So the kitchen came first and everything else came second. So our kitchen is actually significantly bigger than most van kitchens, as you can probably imagine for what I need. Um, I have a 10 inch deep sink, so I can actually like load it up with all kinds. My dehydrator trays actually fit into it, um, which is unheard of for most vans. Uh, We have a college size refrigerator, which is really unusual for vans. And then my countertops actually quite a bit higher too, because the drawers need to be big enough for me to put everything in there that I needed. And then our little table swivels around to where it actually will make like an L-shape countertop. Um, It swivels around and then it raises to the countertop height. So then we have like an L-shape kitchen if I need that extra space. 
Um, so, and then we have a microwave that we use all the time, which is a lot of bands. I don't think they have microwaves, but I'm so glad we have it because we use it every single day. So you're essentially every, not every day, maybe, but every week and what have you, you're in the kitchen practicing, playing, testing to come out with new recipes continuously or routinely, I should say. Right. Yeah. I'm in the kitchen most of the time. Um, that was part of Chris, my husband, he quit his job to take over all the kind of business part of it. Cause that was the part I was really struggling with up until, uh, we left in the van. So he spends his days doing all that kind of thing, the website, you know, the marketing and all those while I'm in the kitchen. So that's where I get to spend all my time, except for the days that I'm doing like the meal planning kind of resources, those things. But yeah, I spend most of my time kind of tinkering in the kitchen. And when I do, like right now I'm looking at, we have a 30 gallon tote full of ingredients and it sits on the floor. So there's really not a whole lot of room left <laughs> when I'm doing my, all my cooking stuff in here. That sounds kind of sweet and kind of insane all at the same time. <laughs> um, I look forward to it because, and we try to do like recipe development days. So I do make like a huge mess all at once instead of doing a little bit at a time because it does it doesn't give Chris and our dog Ella a whole lot of room because I take up yeah. most of the van when I do it. I mean, I even put stuff in the front seats too so I can reach it. So there's really not much left over. And I usually can only do it too, like when Ella can be outside during the day. Mm-hmm. Um, so we try to park in particular locations where she can be outside and be free instead of being cooped up all day. I was going to say, I hope you have some uh, like folding chairs or whatever that you can just kind of put outside so that uh, Chris can relax while you're a mad scientist at work. Yeah, he actually prefers being inside. He likes kind of being with his little pillow behind him. He's actually got a sweet little desk, so he's actually quite a bit more comfortable inside. I'm more the one that likes to be outside. We do have folding chairs, so I usually, on my computer days, I like to sit outside when I can. Hmm, how do I want to approach this? I could go two ways here, so you tell me which way you want to go. I could drill into through hiking more, and then we could circle back to uh to nutrition and that kind of thing or we could just kind of drill into nutrition right now and and then go over to the other stuff the the kind of more through hiking stuff doesn't matter i could talk about both (laughs) (laughs) i'm not sure how much like through hiking stuff what do you want to talk about well, I mean, I love to hear people's about people's experiences through hiking wise. Um, obviously, you nutrition is probably not one of the things that uh, you struggled with out there. But but what about the other stuff? Pack weight, bringing extra things. How far did you hike? You know, that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. OK. Yeah, whichever. I can talk about both. I'm a chatterbug. <laughs> <laughs> OK. <laughs> Why don't we do nutrition? Why don't we start with nutrition and then um, and then we'll circle over to the other stuff, depending upon how much time we have left. Perfect. Okay, sounds good. Um, okay, so for nutrition, maybe rules is maybe putting it too structuredly, but kind of what are the top five rules that you found work for nutrition for getting good bang for your buck, so to speak? Well, kind of my specialty is what I call ultralight meal planning. So what I think personally is that if you really think about maximizing every bite of food that goes in your mouth, the better off you're going to be and the less food you have to eat too. So what I like to call it is like combination foods is I think about a food that has carbs, protein, and fat combined in it. So whereas let's say white rice. So white rice doesn't have a whole lot of protein or fiber or those things in it or fat. So you're only getting the carbs 
So whereas if say you're going to have quinoa instead of that white rice, you're going to get more protein, you're going to get more nutrition in that same amount of food, and it's going to last you a lot longer. Um, because the white rice, the carbs are going to digest really quickly. So you're going to be hungry sooner, which means you have to eat again sooner versus the quinoa, same amount of food, but you're not going to have to eat again because you're satisfied for much longer. So that's kind of where I've transitioned to is paying more attention to what goes into my mouth. Um, exactly. So like trail mixes, I try to make sure there's like some kind of carb in there, some kind of like nuts for protein and fat. And then you all show a sweet. I'm very big on sweets. So that's my happy food. So there's usually some kind of sweet in there. So I kind of try to do like a combination of all those things. So then that way I can eat what I need at the time and not have to eat again later because I'm already bonking. So watching or so listening to everybody that talk about the traditional through hiker meal plan of rice sides or couscous or mashed potatoes or right well the the thing is those can be optimized i guess i should say Mm -hmm. Uh, because the rice sides again it's primarily rice so there's not a lot of protein in there there's usually not a lot of fat unless you pour some olive oil or something in it so let's say if you do put some olive oil or I don't know, some cheese powder or something else in there or cheese melt it, then you're going to get more nutrition in that amount of food. That's going to last you a lot longer. Um, same thing with mashed potatoes. They're just carbs. So you're going to be hungry again in a half an hour to an hour because you've already metabolized that versus if you loaded it up with some butter or sour cream powder or, Oh, I don't know, cheese, you know, those things to make it more kind of hearty at the time. Um, so that's kind of where I think about those traditional hiker foods. You can have them, but you just need to kind of augment them, I guess you could say, with some other things. What was your go-to meal for that PCT AT year? I wouldn't say that I had a go-to meal because I made 450 pounds of food <laughs> <laughs> for five months. So I didn't really have one go-to meal um, because it was such a huge experiment. And that's actually one thing that I did learn as a through hiker is that I was so structured. And I think people try to do this is lesson I've learned that I would have like, I labeled them out like meal plans. I think I had 10 different bags of food. So, and then we'd cycle through, we'd go one through 10, then Chris would start over and give me one through 10 again. So I got to where I would realize, oh, I don't like what's in number three and that's coming next week. So I'd really dread it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So we've since gotten to where he just kind of throws stuff in the box for me haphazardly. Then that way it's still the same nutrition because we figured out what's in each bag, but I don't know what's coming. So it actually helps with that flavor fatigue because it's kind of a surprise. I'm like, oh, sweet. I was looking forward to that. I didn't know I was getting it this week. You know, that kind of thing. So are you kind of... Is it a surprise reaching into the box or is it then also a surprise reaching into your pack and pulling out something? Um, more surprise looking into the box because once it's in my okay. pack, I already know it's there. So it's not a surprise anymore. <laughs> Although there are the days that I eat my sweets sooner than I should. So then I'm lacking them later in the week. <laughs> so basically all of, did you package them in, uh, cause they were freeze dried, right? No, they're all homemade, either dry ingredients or dehydrated food. So I guess, yeah, Yeah. some of the ingredients would be freeze-dried, but the entire meal itself was not freeze-dried. And then basically each meal that you would create would have about how many calories in it? Um, And that would kind of depend, too, because I'm a real big fan of drinks. um, Because I feel like if I... If I have to carry all this water to stay hydrated, then why not maximize that and add some nutrition to it, too? 
then that way that's actually less food you have to sit and chew because it's easy to swallow nutrition. So I would gotten to where like I would have like a smaller breakfast so I wouldn't have to eat this huge bowl of oatmeal. But then I would have like a hot drink of some sort that I've added like milk powder to or um, I've got a really awesome coconut ginger drink that I love. It's um, coconut milk powder and ginger and some sugar and it's just amazing. So I would kind of combine the two. And that would usually be, I guess I average around 700 to 800 calories on my big hikes for each meal, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Um, so some meals might be all 800 calories, but then sometimes they'll be smaller and then I'll have the side thing that I would add to it. To get to that 700. To get to that 700. Yeah, right. That that was kind of then your optimum per meal. On the AT, that's kind of where it was. Um, well, no, actually, the AT was closer to 900. The PCT was probably 700, 800. The AT was closer to 900 per meal. And then the Oregon Coast Trail, I mean, it's just beach walking, so I didn't need to eat much. <laughs> so, We're down at 400. Yeah, it was actually closer down to like 500 or so. I mean, I didn't need yeah. a whole lot. So it just, that's part of figuring out the trail needs too, is because every trail is so different. You can't just say my meal plan is X because that's not going to work. Every trail and... I mean, the, even my pack weight differed significantly from trail to trail. So you just actually hit on a really interesting quandary question that I, that I had literally been just thinking about, which was, if I were to drink some of my food, is that more efficient weight-wise versus, because I'm using more water, but I'm also getting calories in it, versus just keeping water as water and then food as, um, as food, so to speak? Um, well, I kind of think about it. Too. Well, you're already carrying the water anyway. It's kind of how I think about it. Um, so if you already have to carry the water, then you're carrying the extra amount of nutrition that would be added, I guess, to some of that water anyway, if you were adding it to like a meal. So I'm not sure how to make that really easy to understand. <laughs> I, I guess my, I guess my question really comes down to it. If I honestly think it through. Um, or the, the quandary in my head is, yes, I would be carrying the water anyway, and I would end up drinking the water. But when your water is also the contents of your calorie intake, then I'm drinking, it feels like, and maybe this is just me imagining it, um, it feels like you would then be drinking even more water. Um, not necessarily. No, because I think I still would drink the same three to five, you know, however many ounces I eat, ever drink a liter every three to five miles or so. I'm still going to drink that much because that's just kind of what I keep in my pack. So I would just pour whatever water I was already carrying into. And I just put the mixes or just powder mixes that I put in a Ziploc bag. And a lot of times I eat them, drink them rather as afternoon snacks. And I don't even stop moving because I keep them in my... Um, hip belt pockets. So then I just pull it out, dump whatever water I'm carrying on me and shake it up. And then I drink it directly from the bag. So I wouldn't say that I really carry extra water to have those than I would, I would already be carrying. Okay. Well, <laughs> this is brilliant, actually. Absolutely brilliant. Because <laughs> you just hit on the second part of my quandary, which is how, where do you drink it out of? Because I don't want to contaminate or, you know, whatever the, the water container, you know, so do you carry an extra container that just is for those drinks or whatever? And it sounds like you were just saying you drink it out of a bag. Yeah, no, I'm an ultralight backpacker. So I do, <laughs> I go, and that's part of actually why van life has worked so well is I'm used to living with very little. 
Um, so I do. I just drink it right out of the bag. If you're okay with drinking out of a bag that's not very sturdy, I mean, it's a little tough to do. I was going to say, like, how many messes yeah. did you make? Right. I mean, but it goes down and it's fine. And literally, like, I don't stop. I mean, I stop long enough just to dump the water in and then I keep going kind of thing. Um, but yeah, and then... Too, like you're saying, that's just extra water. You have to rinse out a cup if you're going to pour it into a cup and drink it. So that's one of those reasons why I don't use an extra cup because it's just one more thing to clean. I guess I'm going to be, I'm going to drill down here. So when you say bag, are we talking like a freezer bag? Are we talking something else? Most of my stuff has always been vacuum sealed. So because it's been prepared for like a full season. Um, so those bags actually are a little bit sturdier and there's, they're zip top, like a regular zipper bag. Um, so they're a little bit sturdier, but we're actually phasing away from those cause they're not recyclable. So I've been using still freezer bag kind of thickness bags. So yeah, it's still, it's the bag is way too big for what the, the drink is, but that's just kind of where I am right now. We're, that's part of the business too, is we're working on finding some new packaging that's more environmentally friendly, that will be a better size for these kind of things. And then hopefully we're going to be able to offer those to people too. Cause right now they're only commercially available. So that's kind of, I'm taking what I've learned from the trail and kind of figuring this out too, hopefully to help other people. And one of the big things about the drinks, just kind of stepping back about the nutrition part is that they can actually be a full meal. If you're, let's say you're at altitude and you don't feel good and you don't feel like eating. So you can actually drink a full meal instead of having to eat. And they also really work really well for bear cans. So if you're not able to squeeze in all that food into your bear can because they're so pliable that they're really good. So you can get in a full meal by just squishing in this powder in your bear can. Or if you've got Giardia and you don't feel like eating, <laughs> you know, <laughs> then you're still getting something in and just by drinking it. Even if you sip over it, you know, an hour or two, then you're still getting something in. Then having to sit down and actually choose something when you're nauseous or what have you and you just don't feel like eating. I, I could totally see, particularly considering the number of calories that people need to take in per day, that that would make it easier to get calories versus, you know, you just not being able to face actual food again. Yeah, I take at least two on my long hikes. I take at least two drinks per day for that very reason, because I just get so sick of eating. <laughs> I love to eat, but there's times where I'm just like, oh, I can't eat again. <laughs> what is your go to drink at this point? Um, it had been my peanut butter chocolate milkshake, uh, had been my go-to for a long time, but I just made a, what I call the trailside toffee coffee. Um, <laughs> it actually tastes like toffee, it, literally like a toffee latte kind of thing is what it tastes like. And it has some caffeine in it. So that one has a hundred percent of like most of the vitamins and minerals in it in a day. I forget. I think it's like a three ounce package of powder by the time it's all said and done. So that's kind of my new one. I think it's five or 600 calories in one. So even wow. if you want to split it up into two times during the day as like a snack kind of thing, or you could have it on you. I keep them on me now as like an emergency meal too. So that way, if there comes a time I'm out on trail longer than I should be, then at least I have something to kind of get me through the end of the day. Okay. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to rethink this whole drink thing. <laughs> Most people don't consider it, but it's worked yeah. really well for me. So. Yeah, I I don't generally see people talking about drinking calories. I see people talking about drinking vegetables or or trying to get some sort of vegetable-ish type of thing through through drinks, a green right. drink of some sort. But well, it's a good way to get in not just calories but protein too. So, and a lot of protein sources they're heavy, like jerky and tuna and all that's really heavy um, and takes up a lot of space. So a lot of those you can have like protein in them, and you're getting that in there too. I know it was interesting. I I was scrolling through your Instagram feed where 
you obviously have a lot of little uh, tips that you're that you're dropping. And you were talking about the one that I saw specifically that caught my eye, probably because I was literally just eating cheese. But you were talking about the difference between freeze dried versus powdered cheese. Yep. And, and why one versus the other may be better. Well, and that kind of differs on what you're using it for. Um, so I use freeze dried for certain meals and then powdered for other meals. Um, there's pros and cons to each. So freeze dried is obviously more expensive than the powdered, but you get a lot more nutrition in the freeze dried version um, for the amount of weight that it is. It's higher in fat, it's higher in protein versus the powdered version. I think it's more of like a cheesy flavor kind of thing. And it doesn't weigh very much. And if you want like a so mac and cheese kind of thing. So is it an actual, you know, like meal if it's just a powdered flavor? Um, actually, I like Anthony's brand and it's real cheese. Oh, so okay. I've got, yeah, it's like real cheese. It's not all these artificial color. And that's one thing I'm really against. I avoid artificial colors and flavors and all those things. So all my food is just real food. So the powder is really good for like mac and cheese kind of things. You want like a cheesy meal or you want something that's inexpensive, but still cheesy, that kind of thing. But then if you want something that's truly the ultralight, like I've got to get as much nutrition and the lightest weight and I'm okay with paying a little extra for it. And also it melts better. It's more like a melted cheese kind of texture in your mouth than the other. Um, then that's when I would use the freeze-dried food. So it just kind of, I use them interchangeably, I guess you could say. There's not a, there's not a perfect solution, so to speak. No, I know it's kind of like with dehydrated and freeze-dried vegetables too. There's sometimes I use dehydrated in certain things and freeze-dried in other things. They just Certain ones taste better with other things than, so I don't lean one way or the other. Okay, so uh, telescoping back or magnifying back, um, 30,000 foot view. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the, maybe just for my purposes, clarifying the difference between freeze dried versus, oh God. Dehydrated? Dehydrated, yes. Um, food in general is what you're asking yes, what the difference yes, is. Yes, yes. Um, freeze dried actually is significantly more, it retains more of the nutrition in the food because of the way it's processed. It retains about 97% of the nutrition, the vitamins and minerals, I guess is what I should say. Whereas dehydrated food, the way it's processed because of the exposure to the prolonged exposure to the heat is that almost 50% of some of the nutrients can be um, degraded. So you'll lose most of the vitamin C and some of your B vitamins. So you're not going to get nearly as good nutrition with dehydrated as you would with freeze-dried. But then again, if you're only hiking, you know, on a weekend or something, you're totally fine. You're going to go home and eat your regular diet again. So it's not a big deal if you don't want to invest. Scurvy. In, right. So you don't have to worry about it. If you're going to, you don't have to invest in all the freeze-dried ingredients if you don't want to. But for through hikers that, again, you're having to think about because dehydrated is, is significantly heavier than freeze-dried too. So the weight of dehydrated starts adding up really quickly and you're also not getting the nutrition, although it's cheaper, you kind of have to weigh it out. Do I want to pay more, have more nutrition and a lighter food than having the other, the dehydrated? So that's another kind of a personal choice for people. But I've done the math, again, being the dietitian nerd that I am with numbers. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I really enjoy doing. Is that financially, freeze-dried really isn't as expensive as you would think once you figure out how many servings you get out of a canister. Because the problem with freeze-dried is they sell these huge canisters of it all at once versus freeze-dehydrated, you can go to the store and get like a little bag of, you know, like cherries or something in the sun, you know, in the grocery store that costs like two or three bucks. Whereas you have to buy like this huge one pound container of freeze-dried. So it feels like the upfront investment is a lot more. But if you use it over an entire season, the serving cost is actually pretty comparable. It's not that expensive. 
you just have to be okay with paying that upfront cost. So if you're not somebody that's going to hike a lot, then freeze dry is probably not the way to go because it is more expensive. But if it's something you're going to use over and over again, then I think it's worth it. Why is dehydrated more heavy or heavier? It still has water in it. So I've forgotten actually what the percentage of water. It's not completely dry. Um, so it's still moist. Um, whereas freeze dried is pretty darn dry. Uh, I mean, there's very, very, very little water left in it. If any, I, again, I've forgotten what the percentage of water that's left in it, but that's why. Wow. Okay. Something I did not. Yeah. It's dry, but not no, completely dry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I guess my, my interpretation of dry meant dry. Yeah. No, there's still a little bit of water in there. <laughs> so how long did it take you? I mean, obviously you've gotten much better at it since then, but how long did it take you to prepare all of your food? Cause I'm assuming that you basically prepared all your food and then kind of, we're going to mail it forward to yourself or Chris was going to mail it for you. How long did it take you to prepare all of that? Oh gosh. Um, I'm thinking I spent a solid month making it. And again, back then I wasn't nearly as efficient as I am now because I was still figuring it out. Um, so it took quite a while, but now that I've kind of figured out systems for, I have almost like an assembly line system now that I do it. And so instead of making one middle at a time, I'll make 10 to 20 at a time mm-hmm. and have like a measuring spoon and like a measuring spoon of milk powder and just go dump, 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 you know, down the line. And then the next ingredient down the line. So it's just so much faster now. And it was one thing since we've been living in the van, Chris was really shocked when he actually started paying attention to me making the food that he was like, I had no idea how easy it is. (laughs) I was like, I know this is what I'm trying to tell people. It's really not as bad as you think it is. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it sounds challenging. It sounds difficult. It sounds time consuming when you just say, Oh, I'm going to pre-prepare all of these meals and, and so forth and so on. But I guess if you have, the recipes, if you know what they are, and you know what the ingredients are and the proportion of ingredients are, you can assembly line it, like you said. Well, and that's part of what we're doing in the service, too, is I'm doing video tutorials, kind of showing what my tricks are, so that you don't have to figure that all on yourself like I had to. I mean, I've even got time-saving tricks of how to vacuum seal to where I put the package in there, close it, and then I put a measuring cup underneath of it to hold the package in place and then I walk away. So I don't actually sit there and wait for it to fully vacuum seal. So, I mean, just that kind of stuff. I mean, that's how efficient that I've gotten. <laughs> so just those kind of things that will save you time when you have to prepare so much food for an entire trip. Yeah. Do you prepare all of your food up front or is Chris preparing some of it or was Chris preparing some of it after you were gone? Oh, no, this was all me. If we go into the business of making food, that'll be his first time making trail food. (laughs) Copy that. Okay. Yeah. So, no, this is all me. He's the taste tester. He's kind of my, if I think it's good, I have to give it to him. And then if he's not like, oh, wow, then it goes back into the kitchen for more. So he's my final sign off on new recipes. How are you? Because one of the things that I hear from a lot of people is about flavor. And I mean, I guess when you think about what people are eating out there, it's a lot of very blah food. And so they're looking frantically for ways to make it more flavorful. So what I do, and this is kind of my belief, is that I only take things that I'm willing to eat at home into the backcountry with me. So it has to taste good while I'm at home, so which means it must have some flavor because that's the only kinds of foods that I eat. So I try to make as many of like my normal dinners 
Um, and then I just convert them into trail ingredients essentially. So like my spaghetti is like a regular spaghetti, but I've converted it all into like dry ingredients and it tastes just like homemade spaghetti and it's really yummy. And then today I made a quinoa, kind of like a Moroccan quinoa dish today that I normally make fresh, but then I converted it all into a dehydrated form and that's going to be a new recipe. So that's just kind of how I've done it. Um, and then I do really to, for preventing the flavor fatigue is I try to really mix up sweet and savory throughout the day too. Um, so you don't really get sick of one over the other. <laughs> All the little, uh, the tips, the it's, it's surprising though. It probably shouldn't be how important it is to keep you interested in food. Oh yeah. In the food. Especially when you have to eat so much. <laughs> So I, I don't normally think about food as much as I do when I'm through hiking and when I'm at home. <laughs> so it's just, you're constantly eating. And that's part of it too, is if you don't want to bonk, you need to eat every 60 to 90 minutes, at least something. Cause that way your blood sugar is not going to drop and you're going to stay feeling pretty good and strong. and gets you through the day. But when you're hiking for 12 hours, that's a lot of eating, which is again, going back to the drinking part is that I just get so sick and tired of eating all the time that I started drinking instead. <laughs> you know, take it out of contents. Yeah, I know. <laughs> that could sound really interesting. Yeah. <laughs> so you went out on the PCT and then the AT. And as a dietitian, I'm sure you probably felt pretty good about your nutritional side of things. How did you feel about all of the rest of it? I quickly learned, this is back when I did all the research, like most beginner through hikers, like, oh, I've totally got my pack nailed down. I know what I need. And then, of course, you quickly learn, I really don't need all that. <laughs> so <laughs> I can remember, like, I don't remember how many weeks in that some of my girlfriends were like, Erin, that's got to go. <laughs> so I remember dumping a lot of stuff early on. Um, and just with even more experience, I've dropped even more. So, yeah, that's just with time, just figuring out what goes in your pack. So what were some of the first things that you dropped? Oh, um, stuff sacks were number one. So I don't use stuff sacks anymore. My sleep, I have one huge um, waterproof. It's actually my pump sack The for my sleeping pad is my liner. So then everything just gets shoved into my backpack now. So it's actually, it looks a lot bigger than it really is because everything's all puffy. So, cause my sleeping bag's puffy and my puffy jacket's puffy. So it's actually bigger than it actually isn't than what it weighs. Um, so like all my clothes just get jammed in there. So they're not in stuff sacks. Um, and then of course, when I started, I thought I would shave my legs and I'm like, no, that's not happening. <laughs> and then I had like a callus shaver. I'm like, nope, not going to do that either. <laughs> and then I'm trying to think of the other things that I started getting rid of. I mean, they were just kind of little things. Oh, and I think I carried an extra cup. I'm like, no, don't need that either. <laughs> Um, I carried too many water bladders because what I ended this kind of one of my time saving tricks on the trail is that I always have only dirty water. I don't stop to filter. I leave my mini Sawyer, which I know people hate those, the mini ones, but I leave it on my smart water bottle and just drink from it like a straw. So I never filter anything. I just scoop it up when I go to a water source and drink straight from the filter. So that way I was able to not carry as many bags because I didn't have to filter it. It just, every time I come to stream water, I am always full. So you're basically carrying a couple of those liter smart water bottles or? Yeah, I usually carry two of those and then, well, again, it depends on the trail. Um, usually two smart water bottles and then I've got the other platypus kind of looking things that I would carry kind of like as my backup if I needed it, depending on however long I would be without water. So how many, let's say in the desert, 
for for the PCT per se. How many liters of water were you carrying at, at that point? I was really lucky. In 2017, when I did it, that's when we had that huge um, snow. So there was oh, okay. actually the streams are full of water. So I didn't have to carry much. Um, that was a huge concern the prior year, I think, because I was I was worried about that too. And that's actually our meals are designed to be low water too, for that very reason, so that you're not having to carry a ton of water just to make your food when you get into camp, because sometimes camps are dry. So I'm trying to remember, it really just depends on where you are on trail, but I remember not having to carry as much as I thought I would, because I quickly learned that I hadn't planned on doing it that way, my drinking from the filter kind of thing. But once I figured that out, then... I didn't really carry a whole lot. And even on the AT, I only think I carried a liter or two at a time because I was always near water. Yeah, I guess we'll, we'll see what happens on the PCT this year, depending upon the snowpack, but it's not looking good right now. Right. <laughs> or it's it's looking good for other reasons, but not necessarily for water. Yeah. <laughs> what was the pack that you had or what is the pack that you now use, I should say? Um, I still have the one that I had before. Just I'm ready to upgrade, but it's so comfortable. I have the Osprey Exos 58. Um, it's way oversized for what I do now. I ended up, that was too, I started out with it fully packed with the lid on it and the lid quickly got left behind or actually shipped home because I was like, I don't need all this stuff. So the lid got taken off. Um, and I now it's so baggy <laughs> because I hardly take anything with me anymore that I should really upgrade to some kind of ultra like Cuban fiber pack or something, but it's just so comfortable. Then, I mean, I've got so many miles on it and it's still, it's starting to get a few holes in it, but <laughs> I'm just not really do, will, willing to give it up just yet. It's done such a good job for you. Oh yeah. So it's kind of like having a good pair of jeans, you know, <laughs> you, just oh, yeah. wear them out. you wear them until you can't wear them anymore. <laughs> until they're literally falling. Falling apart. <laughs> when you said that you kind of just leave everything, uh, unseparated or, or unbagged in your pack. I'm assuming that you've got some sort of food bag. Is that correct? Yeah. So I have all my clothing and all those things are loose. And then I have one Ziploc baggie, which is kind of like a ditty bag, I guess you could say, that has everything else in it. Like, um, um, actually, I've actually transitioned since then. Back then I was using Ziploc baggies, but I've actually since transitioned to the Hyperlite Mountain Gear has their pods. And I now use those. So that holds like all my batteries, you know, hairbrush toothbrush you know all those little things that float around all over the place and that also is big enough to where i put one ziploc baggie of my food for the day in there and that sits on the top of my pack so all the rest of my food is in whatever food bag i'm using whether that needs to be a bear can or my cuban fiber bag or you know your ursac just kind of depends on what our wherever we are what i need goes in there but otherwise i really don't have any other bags in there so it's really just my food bag and my clothes are loose and then the um, hyperlight pod that kind of holds all the other miscellaneous stuff that's floating around. Did you have on the AT, did you have any issues with water, with sleeping bag getting wet, that kind of stuff? Actually, I was just going to say that about my tent. Um, I do, <laughs> I do use those trash compactor bags to put my tent in when it's wet like that because it rained and rained and rained on the AT and that was, it was horrible. <laughs> so I just shoved my tent and my, tent itself into one bag and like the fly into a separate bag. So whenever I come, whenever, if it ever dries out, then I pull it out and let it dry like at lunchtime or something. But yeah, those just get shoved into my backpack too. And then the poles are outside of my pack in one of the side pockets. So I don't put those in a bag and the tent stakes are on the outside in the pocket too. And that's really all I take. <laughs> There's not much left. Oh, my stove. But that kind of sits in there too. That fits in the um, 
pod. So there's really not a whole lot left in my bag <laughs> now that I've whittled it down to hardly anything. What is the tent that you use? Um, again, I could probably upgrade to one of these, but I love it um, to a lighter tent or smaller one. I have the um, Big Agnes. Oh, what's it called? I've had it for so long. The Fly Creek. Is that what it's called? It's yellow. Uh, there's a couple it's a- of different ones. There's a Copper Spur, a Fly Creek, and a Tiger Wall. I think. No, it's the Fly Creek, the Two Man, which is okay. way too big. But it's been, there's those days where it's raining and it's really nice to have all that room. <laughs> so you can spread out in there. And there's actually a time on the PCT, I'll never forget. Um, it was a windstorm, absolutely horrible. And I didn't even think I was going to hold the tent down myself. And luckily, another gal came through and was like, Can I sleep in your tent with you? <laughs> and I was like, Please, you'll help me hold it down. <laughs> So at that point in time, it was really nice having the extra room because I didn't think it was going to stay put that particular night. <laughs> yeah, It's almost like you have a guest bedroom. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, it's way too big. The next time I do another trip myself, I probably will downgrade to, or I guess upgrade to a fancier tent, but a smaller one just to a single person now that I have a much smaller pack and I don't need the space. You know, it's interesting. Like I've heard people talk about, you know, tent sizes, two person versus one person and so forth. And it's, I mean, it, it's the great debate. Uh, but it seems to be a conversation in terms of do you like having enough space in your tent where you can bring your pack in and open every and pull everything out and look at it there? Or do you not mind being able or having to just do it outside? For me personally, I bring it all in. So I like to have everything in there. Um, especially on those rainy days where the ground ideally inside your tent's dry, but it's not always dry when you're trying to put it up and it's raining through the mesh. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I would definitely, if I get a one person tent, it's still going to have at least a big enough fly to keep my tent, my bag, excuse me, um, in, in the vestibule area or inside with me, one or the other. So speaking about being wet or tent getting wet, um, on the AT, did you ever have any issues where it was so wet that your bag was wet through? I mean, and hopefully the trash compactor or whatever bag protected everything else inside. But did you ever have a problem where it was, it just was getting so wet that your bag wasn't keeping it off? Yeah, no, luckily the um, pump sack that I use that's waterproof kept all my clothes and all those things dry. So that was actually never a problem. It was more of the clothes that I was wearing, I could never get to dry out. So, and I didn't want to put them inside my pack. So I ended up just wearing the same wet clothes over and over and over again. Instead of normally, you know, you could switch out for a dry t-shirt or something, but then hang it on the outside of your pack to dry. But yeah, it was pretty miserable. I'll never do the AT again. I'm sorry, AT lovers (laughs) out there, but I'm never going back. (laughs) You've been scarred. Yeah, I'm not going back. (laughs) The Triple Crown, just because of that, I'm not going to do it. (laughs) You'll do the, uh, the Double Crown? I'd Actually, I'd really love to do the Pacific Northwest Trail. So I'd rather do that one than the AT again. I don't know. Some of that could be just as wet. Yeah, but it's actually the more the area of the country that I love. So I think I would enjoy just that part of it and the remoteness of it too. So that was part of the AT I didn't like as much as that it wasn't nearly as remote as I like. Speaking of area of the country, now you've gotten, you're in van life now, which means obviously home can move anywhere. Have you stayed in the Pacific Northwest area or have you just sort of motated wherever the wheels take you? Wherever the wheels take us. 
we actually we've covered we've been from Pacific Northwest all the way down to the Keys and back and then back again. So we've oh gosh, I think we've put thirty thousand miles on in the last year, if not more. And that was with us. We actually the we're, we were in Seattle. It wouldn't stop raining, so we were trying to build the van in the middle of the winter, which is the worst time ever to build a van. <laughs> In, um, Seattle. in Seattle, where it rains and snows and is ugly and freezing. So we finally got to the point where Chris quit his job. I was like, okay, we can't do this here. So luckily my parents live in Florida where it was gorgeous and dry. So we drove immediately. We stopped a little bit along the way, but we drove to my parents' place in Florida and actually built out the van the rest of the way in two months nonstop at their place in the spring. So since then, we've been back on the road like full time. But yeah, no, we've traveled all over the the country and back. Um, and to be honest, we don't even know where we're going next. That's actually kind of the beauty of it is we're like, where's the weather the best? Where's there really great BLM land? And where can we be outside? So then we just kind of go for it. And if there's a place that we don't like being, then we just pick up and we go again. Or where we are right now, we're in New Mexico. And we've been here the longest of any place. We've been here almost a week now. Normally we'll stay three to five days, but this is the longest stretch we've ever stayed in one spot. I mean, it's a little bit like RVing or a version of RVing. And I, there's, there's definitely an attraction to it or the concept of it. We love it. I mean, I didn't think I would love it as much as I do, but actually I'm really nervous about living in a house again, to be honest. <laughs> I'm worried about being stuck in one place because I've really enjoyed exploring so much of the country and going and seeing places that I never would have seen had I've stayed in our old lifestyle and working as many hours as I did and not getting out because, and again, the commute was two hours. So just, I was so sick and tired of being on the road. Last thing I wanted to do is drive another two hours on the weekend to go out for a hike, you know, and I was already exhausted. So now we're able to do all those things that we didn't do before that we love to do. So yeah, the thought of sitting still in a house right now, well, I'm picking the one place where we're going to live is a little nerve wracking. <laughs> and I never thought I would say that, but it is. <laughs> yeah, I, maybe that's what I'll do when I retire. <laughs> I, it's awesome. I, I try to talk to anybody that's like, not sure where they are and yeah, just give it a try. Cause you can always go back home or figure out where home's going to be. It doesn't have to be long-term. How did you guys, I guess, learn how to, or discover how to build this van out. Thank God for YouTube. (laughs) (laughs) Because we have zero experience being contractors or builders or electricians or (laughs) yeah, no, we just watched a zillion YouTube videos. And at the time I'd already quit my job. So I'd been working on the foodie business for a while. So I just put that completely on hold and spent my entire days YouTube binging, (laughs) watching YouTube videos and reading people's blogs and I mean, we just, we went through design after design and we ended up taping it out on our living room floor with blue masking <laughs> tape, trying to figure out, okay, where's everything going to fit? And we even like laid down. We're like, okay, that's not a big enough bed. So <laughs> that doesn't work. Yeah. That's not going to work. Or we'd like put all the plastic bins we thought we'd have to take and we'd put Chris's bike there. Well, like, that's not going to fit. So then, I mean, we went through a multitude of like different designs, but we're really happy with the way it came out. I mean, we wouldn't change anything. So and we've been in a year. It took us probably three or four months to really kind of get a feel for how it was going to work. But yeah, we love it the way it is. We wouldn't do anything different. Did, w- while you were on the Pacific Crest Trail and, and the AT, did you have much experiences with Trail Angels, Trail Magic, any of that kind of stuff? No, that was all new to me because 
I mean, I hadn't experienced it prior to, but yeah, once we were on there, I mean, trail angels are amazing, which I guess is one of the reasons why I really want to do hiker box kinds of things. If we get to our new business going, or even we're actually trying to find places along the trail, again, going back into the PCT, we're probably going to end up in Oregon is where we're thinking right now, as I would love to do trail magic because I was so appreciative of it when I was on trail and I'm still appreciative of it when I do go on smaller trips and I run into people that are helpful. And we actually just did a little trail magic in Florida when we were there on the Florida trail. It just We happened to be hiking out on just one of our day hikes and ran into some through hikers that were saying, oh, yeah, kind of running out of food. I'm like, oh, I've got <laughs> something for you. <laughs> Today is your lucky day. Yeah. So we literally turned around and went back to the van and I made him a bunch of food. It was like having a food, literally like a white food truck. <laughs> so I had through hikers standing at our slider door while I'm handing them trail food. <laughs> What were some of the meals that you handed out to them? Um, my lemon blueberry oatmeal is amazing. It sounds like it's just boring oatmeal, but it's really pretty amazing. Um, I gave one of them. Oh, and I've got another really cool breakfast. That's um, a banana crunch breakfast cereal. So it's actually like regular cereal, but I've figured out how to make it to where it's like super high calorie and hiker friendly. What else? Do I, oh, my sun-dried tomato pesto pasta I gave out. Um, trying to think. I gave them each four different things, so I'm trying to remember. It's been a couple weeks since I did that, but yeah, I sent them on their way each with a handful of stuff. They were very happy. Oh happy yeah, campers, happy so campers. Well, and I, it was so much fun for me too. So I was like, yeah, we've really figured this out. I need to do this again. And those weren't necessarily meals that you had pre-prepared. It was something that you were able to make on the spur of the moment because you have the system down at this point. Yeah. Well, it actually happened to be one of my recipe development days. So everything was already out. Uh-huh. So I just was like, yeah, they hadn't been already pre-prepared. I just whipped it up right then and there and handed it to them like a food truck. <laughs> they placed their <laughs> order. I went with my computer, again, being the nerd, I took my computer out to where they were sitting in our chairs. Like, what would you like? Here's the menu. And then they just ordered and then I made it up and then handed it back out to them. How long does it take you, because you've got the recipes now, you know, the proportions and so forth. How long did it take you to make up a meal like that? Is it five, 10 minutes or? Oh, no. Like some of them are like two minutes. Yeah. A minute and a half. (laughs) I mean, there's, they're so easy to make and I'm really trying to do a better job of using grocery ingredients too. So people aren't having to place big orders for all these kind of wacky ingredients, especially when you're through hiking, you want to resupply in town. So a lot of these things are just regular. It's just regular food. So some of the stuff you probably already have at home. And you just throw it all in a bag or container, whatever you're using, and you're done. And that's part of my design, too, is that I'm, again, stubborn. I'm also impatient. <laughs> these are my personality <laughs> Thank traits. Thank God. Type A, stubborn, impatient. And so <laughs> that's another thing about our recipes is they're designed to be eaten or prepared within five minutes or so on trail. Because when I'm starving, I don't want to wait. I'm just going to be grouchy. So... <laughs> 10 minutes is the longest anything is going to take. If it, Some of the noodles take a little bit longer to rehydrate, but for the most part, it's five minutes or less once you add the water to it and it's ready to go. So I absolutely refuse to simmer anything. So I know some folks are simmer for like 15, 20 minutes or so to get those pasta sides to cook. And it's like, uh, no, absolutely not. I'm too hungry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not waiting. <laughs> and you're able to find the dehydrated or freeze-dried food or ingredients, I should say, at most supermarkets or supermarkets that are along the the trails? Well, this has actually been kind of fun with being in the van is I'm going to so many stores across the country that I'm noticing that even the dollar stores 
have small packages. They'll be in like the snack section, small packages of dehydrated fruit or freeze dried fruit because they're sold as a snack. Whereas mm-hmm. we would buy them and add them to the meal. So I'm noticing it's actually more available than what I thought it was. And Trader Joe's is really awesome for having ingredients too. And then if you're on the West Coast, Winco is a discount. I'm a big bargain shopper, by the way. Everything needs to be cheap. <laughs> I'm not you're a through hiker. I'm a through hiker. Everything has to be inexpensive. So on the West Coast, Winco is a really good discount grocery store because they sell things in bulk. So you can just buy exactly what you need instead of having to buy a container of something and then not using it all. So you can just go through and kind of pick out what you need at the time and keep moving. Interesting. You're you're intriguing me about this. <laughs> I hope so. I, I, <laughs> I was honestly of the opinion that I'm, well, lazy in terms of prepping and pre-pre-prepping particularly, but you're making it sound doable and doable within the month or so that I have left. <laughs> well, that's that's actually, that's my goal is helping people because it's really not as hard. If you know how, it's really not as hard or time consuming or expensive as you think it is. Um, it's just a matter of knowing how and knowing what recipes to use and that kind of thing. So, and two, if you are not, if you aren't planning to go, cause I know, have you decided, are you going to go this season? I'm going to go this season. You are going to um, go. Okay, good. Yeah. I, uh, a few weeks ago now I came to the precipice and I looked over the edge at life doing the, the work job thing. And I looked over the other edge at hiking the PCT and it was like, yeah, there's not really any competition. (laughs) (laughs) So you got to that point too. (laughs) I really did. And it was like, okay, the job is, is great. It's money, it's credit, it's, you know, this and that, but what will actually probably have the greatest impact on my life for the next six months, you know, and I guess I've gotten to the point in my life, almost, you know, turning 50 this year where that is a really big weight you know, what is going to make the most impact? What am I going to have the most significant experience with? Well, that's kind of how our van life came about too, is that we were so tired of the traffic and the housing prices and those kind of things. It was like, why are we doing this? So we were scared to death about buying the van and doing it, but it's the best thing we could have done. So I mean, yeah. similar kind of situation. Which which is partly why I, I I think it sounds very intriguing in another, say, 10 years or so. <laughs> I'll, I'll sell my house down here and, uh, which is my, basically my retirement fund and I'll just put it into a van and I'll just travel. Sounds <laughs> and this is your first through hike, right? This is my first through hike. Yeah. So you'll quickly learn how little you need. So that house, you won't need it anymore. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> I was literally having this conversation with my mom the other day and, and she's like, yeah, I've got this bungalow that's a thousand square feet, but it's not big enough to hold all of my stuff. I'm like, do you really need all that stuff? She's like, well, it's the hobbies. I'm like, okay. (laughs) But you know, you can downsize as long as you're downsizing does not mean you send it to me. Right. (laughs) That is not the proper way to downsize. (laughs) One of the, one of the notes that you had on your Instagram feed was about bear can friendly. And I, I think you kind of mentioned it earlier, which was because things don't take up as much bulk, you can stuff more in. Right. Yeah. Because our, like uh, an example is our black bean dip. It's like only like a half a cup, maybe three quarters cup of like food, but mm-hmm. it's 675 calories. 
So I figured out how to like really s- minimize the size of the food too, to where you, and it's pliable. It's just a powder because once you, you, you make it fresh and you dehydrate it, then you just grind it up into a powder. So it can squish into all those nooks and crannies versus like, if you're putting in a bunch of ramen noodles in there, there's a bunch of airspace floating around that is not being utilized. So those kind of things like hummus is another really good one that you can load up with a bunch of calories. Um, it has good protein in it. Um, like quinoa and couscous is another one that, you can do and drinks are really good. So anything that doesn't have a lot of sharp edges that aren't going to leave a lot of airspace, then you can really cram in a lot of food in there if you know how to do it. It sort of sounds like you're a science professor doing that, that uh, traditional test about what can hold the most volume. And you have the, the two canisters, which are the same size. You have one that's full of big rocks and you have one that's full of small rocks and sand and then bigger rocks. And then, <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, I packed because this was part of my concern when I was doing the PCT is at the time, like the it was going to be a 10 day haul getting across the Sierra. And I was like, that's a lot of food. How am I going to yeah. do that? So, I mean, I act- yeah, I was really nervous about it. And you're not supposed to take an ursac. You're supposed to fit it all in your beer can. Um, so I was able to squish seven days at 5,000 calories in there. Um, so I was still going to have to take the ursac and just kind of eat that immediately out of town. But I know most people weren't getting nearly that much food in their bear can. Were you planning on coming off at Bishop or? Um, I don't remember what the plan was back then. Um, <laughs> and since you didn't actually do the plan, it was. Well, yeah, it was part of it too. <laughs> you kind of get to, and that was, I guess, part of the strategy too, is I was so structured going through this and then you quickly learn that your plans go out the window. So it's better just don't plan. I mean, be wise and know where your resupply points are and your exits are, that kind of thing. But yeah, I, especially that's how the Oregon Coast Trail works so well. Is that I was just like, I'm going to go as far as I can go today. And then if I can't get there, then I'll get there the next day. So I just didn't put that pressure on myself because that was partly why I think I got hurt on the AT, like I was saying, is that I was so structured. Like, I got to get these miles in. Um, so, yeah, going back on the Sierra, I don't remember. And things were closed, too. So roads were closed. And it was a really bad year. So I don't remember where I was going to try and get out. But I remember it just being at least 10 days. A couple times, I think, even. Both the PCT and the AT, what do you think your biggest takeaway, your biggest lesson was from all of that, whether it was about through hiking or whether it was about life in general? Um, That's actually a good question. I haven't thought about that because there's so much <laughs> that has happened since that I think everything that has happened since, I'm grateful for the time I spent on the trail because had I not taken that time on the trail, and I didn't even know the business was going to happen on the trail. I was just kind of in the moment. I didn't really do any pondering of like what the future is going to be. I was just enjoying having the time off, being there, meeting new people, um, doing something I'd never done before. So I wasn't really thinking about big life decisions <laughs> at the time. Um, but I'm just grateful for that time I had to get away from my old life situation, because I am in a much better situation now. So I guess that might be an answer to what you asked. <laughs> Barring the injuries, what was your most difficult time on trail? Um, the injuries were the worst. <laughs> I'm sure. Uh, yeah, because otherwise it was amazing. Like the views were amazing. The weather was amazing. Like I loved being outside the fresh air. I really enjoyed being away from work. I enjoyed meeting new people. I don't remember going back to the AT. The rain was really miserable. That I would say was pretty miserable. Um, because you just never got dry. Um, but other than that, really the injuries were the down point 
part of it. So bar, so without the injuries, I mean, grant you, there's no way of knowing for sure, but without the injuries, you think you would have, you would have made it to the end. Oh yeah, for sure. Oh yeah. No doubt. Yeah. Had I've not had a stupid umbrella injury at the beginning, I would have finished for sure. Yeah. How was that for you coming off the trail or getting thrown off the trail, so to speak? I was devastated. I cried and cried and cried and cried. (laughs) And poor Chris was like, what do you mean? Like, don't you want to come home to me? (laughs) Uh, I was just like, but this was a dream. And I finally had an opportunity to do it because what I saw was that like, okay, now I have to go back to work. What am I going to do? Um, so I wasn't ready to go back to where I was and that was kind of my option at the time. So yeah. And then the AT similar kind of thing. I think I cried because I was happy to get off the AT. (laughs) (laughs) Hallelujah. It's over. (laughs) So it sounds Um, like for you, the AT was, it was, uh, maybe it was because you were pushing the miles type of thing. It was a grind that was more about duty than, uh, (laughs) Yeah, it was definitely more about duty than the passion. It was more of, I prepared for that, going all the way back. I prepared for this. I have all this food. You know, I'm here. I want to say I'm a through hiker. I have hiker legs. Like, I can do this. So I just kind of pushed through it. And then poor Chris has to listen to me complain every day. I was like, but I'm not coming (laughs) home. I'm miserable, but I'm not coming home. (laughs) So, yeah, it was actually kind of a a good thing when I did have to leave. I was like, I'm not going back. (laughs) What's Chris's memory of that, of your AT experience? I don't know. I could ask. What is your memory of my AT experience? My memory? <laughs> what is your memory of my AT experience? Probably just, com- you're complaining about it and then... <laughs> Can you hear him? And then ending yeah. up with parents' place not uh, too soon after. Oh, and I did, had, I didn't, had I met him yet? Yeah, I met him briefly. Yeah, I didn't know them very well. Yeah, you'd met them a couple times. Yeah, and I forgot about that part. Um, yeah, so his number one re- memory is the complaining part of it. <laughs> and then because where I did had to get off, um, it was actually closer to his parents' place, like I had mentioned. And I really didn't know them very well, and I had to spend a full week there by myself. Um, so that in itself was I was injured, could barely walk around, and staying at some people's place that I had never really spent much time at. So that was kind of awkward. <laughs> What was your, what, what was one of, or a couple of your favorite moments or experiences on trail? Oh gosh. Hmm. The PCT, honestly, the PCT, I loved every single day. Like I would wake up and I'd be like, I am so happy to be here. Like, I love it. I don't remember there other than the injury. I don't remember ever being unhappy. I remember just being like, this is amazing. My body's doing things I didn't think it could do. Um, you know, and I'm meeting all these amazing people. So I don't remember any one thing in particular that then going back to the AT, it was pretty miserable. <laughs> I don't remember anything good about the AT. <laughs> oh yeah. Chris reminded me, I felt pretty miserable at the first day on that PCT. Um, what ended up happening is that I had been on the couch sick for a solid week prior to getting on the PCT. So again, I was like, okay, my start date's March 26th. That's my permit. I have to go. So I ended up slack packing all the way to Lake Moreno with, and having him keep everything there in a tent. We'd spent the night there the night before. So I did that full, what is it like 20 miles the very first day. 
So I ended up calling him like seven miles out and be like, can you help me walk back in? Because I am really miserable. I'm hobbling just trying to get in. Um, but yeah, it's lack packed the very first day. So, so how did all of that experience and then obviously the, everything that's come after that, how did that change or adjust your midlife crisis? Um, well, everything that's happened since. So the midlife crisis quickly came to an end because I saw of all these really amazing things that were going to be in my future. So we sold the fancy car, which I was happy to see that go. (laughs) (laughs) We got rid of the house that we were paying a lot of money for and weren't really needing. So we got rid of that. Um, and then now that we're working on the business full time and I get to make food for a living, I mean, that's an amazing job. (laughs) What do you think the reason for your midlife crisis was? Oh, I was just, um, it was just a combination of things that kind of were creeping up. I had never anticipated having one. I didn't think like, Oh, Aaron, you're going to have a midlife crisis. It's just a matter of time when it's going to happen. It just kind of things kept creeping up that, um, again, my commute just kept getting longer and longer. So I wasn't exercising anymore because by the time I got home, I was exhausted. I had to make dinner, you know, all those things at night, you don't feel like exercising when you get home late. Um, and then the hospital where I work just continued to grow, um, but the staffing didn't. So I was just getting more and more work there. And then just is one thing after another, just kept building. Um, and at the time I was single. So I was kind of like, you know, I'm going to be an old lady and be single the rest of my life. This is prior to Chris. <laughs> so that was part of it too. It was like, I have a fancy car now. I have a house. I have da, 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 no man. <laughs> so that I think probably had something to do with it. But one of the things that I did do as part of the crisis is I started online dating and met a man in the Philippines, which I know you were there just recently, yeah. um, and went on a two-week vacation with him before even meeting him. <laughs> <laughs> That's bold. So that was when my friends were like, there's definitely something wrong. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was when your friends were like, um, intervention time. Yeah, like, what's going on? <laughs> So it ended up being an amazing trip. We ended up, he was from the Philippines. So we spent a week in the Philippines touring and then we went to Bali for a week. And now I just can't wait to go back to Bali because it was so amazing. Um, But he actually were good friends still. So it ended up working out and he helped me kind of make some decisions about the life at the time. So it actually worked out okay, but it could have been a real disaster. (laughs) It could have been something. That's for sure. It sounds like, and I don't know how familiar you are with, my story. But I think one of the big reasons that I'm wanting to get on on the trail is to kind of test myself, test my body and see what it see what it can still do. And it sounds like you were a little bit the same way in that, you know, you were turning 40. And it was sort of like is, is not life over, but I guess, metaphorically is life over at this point. Yeah. And that's the thing is like, I had no idea if I could physically do this. And again, going all the way up until there, I hadn't been training a whole lot. So this was kind of going into it. I had trained the best that I could, but I didn't have a whole lot of time. So once I got on there and I really think having eating as well as I did, I was keeping up with the 20 year olds, like piece of cake. And that's what really got me excited is that I was feeling good. Like I was doing all these miles and these 20 year olds are like, how old are you? I'm like, I'm 40 and I'm keeping up. (laughs) And this is amazing. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, it was kind of that way for me, too. It was like, before I get too old, you know, I know a lot of people wait until they're in their 60s, but to do it. But it was like, while I still have good knees and all these other things, you know. And then, again, I was at that point where I could leave my job. It's like, now's the time to do this. It 
sort of that. I mean, I, I you call it, I sort of silently call it a midlife crisis or a, a midlife change, I guess, is really more what it is. But it's the, the concept of doing it for me, at least at this point, and I'm sure probably for you, the actual doing of it was such an exciting adventure. And it's been a while since I've felt excited about something like that. Oh, yeah. And the anticipation, well, like everybody, you have the countdowns, yeah. like just the anticipation yeah. of getting there. And when the day we got there and we're just because we went the night before to check out wherever the start was, I cried as soon as I stepped up to the terminus. I was like, oh, my God, like, I'm really here. I'm really going to do this. <laughs> and then looking all the way back, I'm like, that's a long way home. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, it was just, it all came together right then. And it was just like, yep, I'm doing this. This is the best thing for me right now. And I'm going for it. <sighs> and and since you've gotten off, you haven't looked back. Oh, no, not at all. Is there anything that we should talk about that we haven't yet? Mm, I don't know. Trying to think. Other than I did struggle with missing Chris because we were getting closer and closer as this time went on. As I did miss, I really struggled, especially on the AT because I was miserable. I did really miss him and had a hard time being without him. So that was definitely something that was a struggle that I didn't anticipate being as much of one. So that definitely happened. We hadn't talked about that yet. What did you guys do to try to bridge that that gap, that distance? Um, I have the Garmin GPS with the, like the texting so we could talk to one another that way. And on the PCT, it wasn't so bad because there's not a lot of tree crumble in the desert. So we could easily communicate back and forth. And it was actually really nice to have because there was a time where there was a fire and I couldn't tell, I thought it was walking right into it. So we were able to communicate that way. He could get a hold of the forest rangers and see safety reasons, you know, check in with them. So that was really nice. So I felt pretty connected with them there. But then when I got on the AT, there's so much tree cover that I didn't get the signal like I did before. So the times that I was really struggling and wanted to talk to him just to have him give me, you know, the kuda like cheerleading me. You can get through this like you can do this. I couldn't get those messages, which made it even harder. So, again, that was part of the AT that I didn't like. <laughs> um, it's just the communication was so much harder. And that's when I needed it more, I think, because I struggled so much more on the AT. Um, the uh, missing him was really tough. And that was part of the reason why I went fast on the AT is that we were scheduled to do a family vacation at his parents' place in New Hampshire, July 4th weekend. So I had kind of like a deadline of when I had to get there. So that was part of what was pushing me to get there too, faster than I probably should have. So getting out the trail ended up being there a week early anyway. <laughs> but yeah, definitely missing him was a lot harder than I expected it to be. Did you guys create any routines or or rituals or stuff like that in order to stay connected other than the like text messages and stuff like that? Did he send you any notes in, in your boxes or anything? Yes, and they were really sweet. <laughs> <laughs> Those are always the uplifting ones you get in your resupply box. <laughs> um, but no, we didn't really have a schedule or anything. So usually, I guess we did have a somewhat of schedule. We'd always say good morning in the morning. Then we'd always say good night. So he would know exactly where I was when I started in the day and when I ended the day. So those are definitely must-dos, so the check-ins. And then whenever, because I didn't want to carry a lot of weight, carrying a big battery pack, I only carried a teeny tiny one that would charge my phone like one time. So we didn't do a lot of phone calls unless I was in town and could able to charge my phone. So the GPS kind of texting was enough just to stay in touch that way. Any Anything else? 
Um, trying to think. Through hiking is a big deal. <laughs> it's a big thing to take on. <laughs> it is. It, it's so so funny that you say that though, because you know, on one level, obviously, it's all about simplifying. And then when you say it's a big deal, it makes it feel and sound very complex. Well, it sounds like you're just going for a walk. And it's so much more than just walking. <laughs> there are all those pieces of keeping things organized, you know, keeping your food, keeping your gear together. You know, there's all these pieces that are just constantly kind of, you have to manage them all, all the time. I mean, you get in a really good groove. Eventually, you kind of have your daily system, what works. But it takes a little while to get into that groove. But here's a question for you. Boots or trail runners? <laughs> um, not boots. Okay. So I, I'm trying to do some version of trail runners. I am, <laughs> I don't know if you've, if you've heard any of these other episodes, but with my feet, I'm a little bit of a, like a princess and a pea type of thing. And so I literally, I'm trying to find trail runners that work for all of the miscellaneous, not even necessarily issues, but all of the miscellaneous ways my feet tend to not fit into shoes. Uh huh. Um, and so I'm in the middle of that right now, literally. And that's the most aggravating thing, honestly, right now. That was a big change for me. That's the reason why I asked, um, is I was so against doing trail runners and, you know, everybody's like boots or trail runners. There's this big controversy mm -hmm. and I wore boots all my PCT because <laughs> again, I was stubborn. That's what I'd always done. And then I would have to stop every 45 minutes to dry out my socks because your feet are so wet from sweating. And then on the AT, I had to throw away my boots because they never dried out because it rained all the time. So I am 100% trail runner now. Um, I actually wear the Stinson's ATR because I have horrible feet myself. I have chronic plantar fasciitis. And I will never go back to boots ever again. <laughs> because now, what, is, what is the Stinson's, sorry. the Hoka Stinson's. Okay. The ATRs are their trail running version. And they're just, they're so cushy. I love them for when you're on the rocks. You can't, you're talking about the pee thing. Um mm -hmm is that you can't feel the rocks. So if you're going to be on really rough terrain, then it's like walking on pillows. Um, so if you don't like that feel, then the ultras are probably better. Cause aren't those, those are pretty stiff. I think, aren't they? They don't have a whole um, lot of cushion. They don't have a lot of cushion, but they are zero drop. Yeah. And I have, because of my miscellaneous injuries achieved through my 50 odd years, uh, they bother my Achilles. Okay. Because of the zero drop. Zero drop. Yeah. But that's why I, so circling back to the hokas. So I did try, I did, I did put some hokas. I think they were speed goats actually on okay. my little feet and they were very cushy except over the toe, ball of foot and toe area. Huh? Um, or at least that's where I was noticing it. It was, I know, I know they are kind of a rolling gate type of situation. Yeah. But, um, and the drawback for them is that the sole doesn't last very long. I will say that because it does wear off pretty quickly you lose grip so if you're okay with buying shoes a little more frequently that's the drawback of them but yeah there i haven't had any foot problems since i, I love them okay. so and these are the hoka a you said atr the stinson atr stinson atr okay i'll try them i'm that is where i am right now is in the middle of trying different shoes to try to find one that that will work and honestly i again going back to the princess and p thing you know, my goal in life 
right now is not to try to see how many miles I can get on my shoes. My goal in life is to switch them out every three to 500 miles, whatever yeah. is necessary. Right. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I'm there. <laughs> I will be 50 this year. There is no need to, to uh, injure my feet about that. Right. No, <laughs> we're wise enough now. <laughs> <laughs> I was stubborn before I've wisened up and I'm not going to do those things again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, it, it's pretty funny. I will probably do other stupid things or crazy things or un, unthought through things, but, but yeah, I, I will pay the hundred and whatever bucks to get another pair of shoes. Yeah. We'll try and go to REI. They have that really awesome yeah. refund policy. Try them out for a little bit. Then if they're not going to work for you, but actually Hoka will return them. I think if you buy them from their website or from uh, Zappos, I think they'll actually return them. Okay. I will, I will try them. I literally had gotten one and I'm trying it out and I'm not 100% sold on it. So I'm still looking. Where can people find you if they want to follow your continuing van life adventures and see if you ever get back on the AT again? <laughs> <laughs> that's funny <laughs> um if you get on back on the at again i would assume that you'll probably have to get onto it with chris the only time i would get back onto the at is if i'm doing trail magic <laughs> that's you how go. you'll get me back on the at <laughs> um you can find us our webpage is backcountryfoodie.com um it's the same thing for instagram and facebook and youtube um all those are under backcountry foodie we have accounts for all of those so you can find us just about anywhere Okay. And what, so I guess just describe for me and for listeners a little bit about what backcountry foodie, because I know you kind of talked about it a little before, but uh, what backcountry foodie, like what is the service or what is the, the thing that you guys do? So we offer a well online cookbook essentially. So we offer recipes and then we also offer a meal planning service. So it's all on an online platform. So the members, you get to log in and then you have your own dashboard essentially. So all of the recipes you have access to are available online. So you can have them on your iPad, your laptop, your phone, wherever you are. And this is another one of the features we like for through hikers. So if you want to pull up something while you're resupplying, you can be in the grocery store and pull up the recipe and you know what all the ingredients are while you're shopping. Um, so that's one of the reasons why we have it that way. And then we also, and they're PDF downloadable too. So if you want to actually print them out and make your own cookbook, you can, you can do it that way. And we took pictures of everything. So they're really enticing. So they look good. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there's pictures for everything. Um, so you know exactly what you're going to be preparing. Um, and then the meal planning portion is that I offer webinars that I've created all about like how to plan for your nutrition, how to pack your food, how to dehydrate. I mean, everything you'd ever need to know about trail nutrition. I'm doing webinars for, they're short, they're anywhere 15 to 20 minutes because like anybody else, we don't have time. So I just want to give you really brief information in a concise format where you can get what you need and then keep moving. And then we also give you meal plan samples. So we kind of give you starting starting points so you can look at here are all the recipes that we offer. We've plugged them into a meal plan for you. And then we offer um, kind of a template so that if the meal plan we created for you isn't exactly what you want, then we teach you how to plug and play and make it into your own individual one. And then we have once a month phone calls that are online that we chat on a video screen where you can answer anything. So we chat for an entire hour about whatever you want to talk about, whatever's going on at the time, whether it's a through hike, a weekend hike or dehydrating, whatever you have questions about, we chat about. 
Um, and everybody that's a member is invited to do that every month. And then we have our YouTube videos that we're posting. So we kind of, and then any articles that I think are really worthwhile. So it's kind of like a library too of all the resources that I think are really helpful. So that way you're not having to spend time searching all over the internet for it yourself. I've already previewed it all and picked out the ones that are reliable because there's a lot of misinformation out there. I mean, it's not just, it's a lot of it. So I've gone through and reviewed everything and picked out the stuff that's actually legit and put it in kind of like a library, I guess you could say. So it's meant to be a one-stop shop for everything you'd ever need to do for your meal planning in one place. You've tried to dummy proof it. Pretty much. <laughs> I'm trying to make it as simple because like you said, it, most people feel like it's so overwhelming, time consuming, yeah. expensive. So I'm trying to make it take away all those variables so that people actually will start doing this and feeling better and enjoying food when they're out there. Yeah. Well, and, and I hear from so many people about not having enough calories and I hear from so many people about flavor. Yep. And I know being, you know, turning 50 this year, that getting away with the diet that most through hikers use will last me like two weeks, and then I will shoot myself, right? Or my body will fall apart, one of the two, right? So. Yep. That's the whole point of the service is to help people like you that actually don't want to do that and want to do better and feel better and get through. And that was part of my concern, too, is that every year folks lose so much weight. Yeah. Um, and then some have that weight to lose. But the problem is you're not able to maintain that kind of exercise when you get home um, afterwards. So unfortunately, most of the time, I would assume I don't have follow up ways of checking on these people, but I'm assuming that they regain the weight. So the better thing to do is actually keep your intake under control so you feel good. Because when you start losing that amount of weight, you're also losing muscle mass. So you're actually doing more damage to your body by losing that much rapidly um, instead of like kind of maintaining or at least getting more fit, I guess you could say, too, as you're going. So the whole significant weight loss thing worries me a lot about people. Yeah, particularly men. Yeah. They they get skeletal. Skeletal. Yeah, it's not healthy. (laughs) I mean, and people, I mean, they're okay with it. And when I started, I was at a reasonable weight. So I didn't have 40 pounds to lose or I didn't even have. 15 pounds to lose. Mm -hmm. So I was really worried about it. So, but you didn't have any issues with it. No, actually I maintained and then I gained four pounds on the AT. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Which was okay because when I came home, all my friends were like, Holy smokes. Like you are so fit. (laughs) I mean, my body, yeah, my body had really changed so they could tell. So it was actually muscle mass that I had gained. I was going to say, so it's probably, you probably just changed your weight. Yeah. My body composition changed. How expensive is a vacuum sealer? They're really not. Um, Well, again, this goes into, are you using it just for one trip or are you going to be using it for a long time? Um, And actually, I bought mine refurbished. So I bought a used one and it's been running for three years and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of bags. And I haven't had any problems with it. So I think I paid $100 for it. So I've gotten well worth the money out of it. Yeah, definitely. Are all of your meals vacuum sealed or is vacuum sealed just the preferred because it gets it as dense as possible? Um, the only reason I vacuum seal is if I want it to be for long-term storage. So if I oh, want it to okay. be good for more than like a month or two, I vacuum seal. Cause otherwise when I get to my resupply boxes, I crack open all the seals anyway. So it's like it's in a Ziploc baggie again, because that's how it's going to fit in my bag better than being all solid, a solid brick. Going back to the whole bear canister thing, right. bear can thing. Right. 
Thank you so much for for coming on. Oh, you're welcome. Um, and it's it is quite entertaining to me, or me personally, that you know how they always say the trail provides. Oh, it does. Uh, <laughs> that that literally, as my brain starts worrying on something, somehow it magically gets answered. <laughs> yeah, it does, and you just figure it out. So it always works out. So, yep, day by day. <laughs> So I was literally, as soon as we finish here, I was going to go literally try out my, take my pair of shoes, put them on my little feet and, and go walk, uh, and just kind of feel how they feel. Well, make sure you carry, do you have a, your backpack and you load it down with some weight so you get a better feel for what an extra 25 pounds or so is going to feel on your feet with the shoes? I can, I could, I can. However, I don't think my body is quite ready for that yet. Oh, Okay. <laughs> Because this is this is the this is the struggle that I have right now, which is, you know, like with feet and with bag and uh, that kind of stuff. You know, I I need to start figuring out what those the weight of those things are. I need to figure out for shoes what's going to work the best, da 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 da, which requires the weight. But my body, because I haven't been training for it for two months, my body is not ready to go full on. Yep, and so I'm having to walk a very delicate balance of trying to push it, but not get injured. Yes. <laughs> Smart woman. <laughs> <laughs> and it is a frustrating balance. Don't get me wrong. Oh yeah, I get it. <laughs> but that I, I'm, I'm trying to apply, apply the wisdom of my 50 years to this problem and, and just know that, you know, even probably by the time I get onto the trail, you know, it's probably going to be a 10, 12 mile day. It's not going to be a 20 mile day. Yeah. Who cares? <laughs> I've gotten to the point where it's like, who cares if it's a five mile day, you're still there. Yeah, <laughs> no, exactly. Exactly. And that's, I'm trying to be Zen about that. Cause I can get competitive sometimes. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Been there. <laughs> so hopefully, you know, again, age comes wisdom and, and yes. I'll be able to put that to the side when, when I feel the competitive juice is coming or when I feel like I should be able to do more than I can at that moment. Well, I'm looking forward to following. I'm excited for you. I'm glad you're doing it. Well, go enjoy whatever the next adventure is. Oh, well, right now it's cleaning up the mess I made today and I'm not looking forward to it. <laughs> life has evolved since this episode was recorded at the end of February. The van life had to be put on hold, but Erin is taking this time to research the feasibility of making and selling meals based on her recipes, as well as starting an affiliate program for her recipe and meal planning service. You can find the most current information at her website, backcountryfoodie.com. Show notes and links for Erin's gear can be found on our website at hiking-through.com. Special thanks to Erin for sharing her stories from the trails, and Maya Wynn for the use of the song, Try Again. Since it's my birthday week, I think I'll just peace out and let you enjoy the beautiful song. I'll see you on the trail. Bye.